Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Scripture reading this morning will come from the second chapter of Ephesians, verses 1 through 5. Be reading from the New King James Version. And you have been made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we were all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of our mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because with his great love, which he, which he loves us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made alive together with him, with Christ, by grace we have been saved. Good morning. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Psalm 103. And if you want an outline of the lesson, that's where it is. So you need to get a copy of the Bible close enough that you can see it. And you can follow along. We're going to start in verse 8 in just a couple of minutes. I want to take just a moment before we begin the sermon for all of us in this room to focus on the reality of what we're doing right now. This worship that we're offering is not merely something that occurs inside this room because God is real. In this very moment, this very moment, The Almighty God, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, is paying attention to what we're doing. And our prayers have gone up before the throne of God. Now that's real. And the God that you and I worship this moment is the God of the Bible. And people through the centuries have worshipped that God, the only true God. And you and I have been singing praise to him. He's gone up to his throne. What we're doing this morning is real. There really is a heaven and hell. God inhabits heaven. You and I anticipate going there one day. And when you and I think about the attributes of God, we may first focus on the things that are rather separate from human beings. God is omnipotent, and it means that he is all-powerful. God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. Proverbs chapter 15 talks about this and says that his eyes, Jehovah's eyes are open to everything. It's, he's, he's all-knowing in reference to the past and to the future and to the present. God is omnipresent. Acts chapter 17 says that he's not far from each one of us. It doesn't matter where you are. Psalm 46 says, He's a very present help in time of trouble. How is that possible? How can he say that about everybody all over the world? The answer is because he's omnipresent. But these are qualities that God has that are the essence of him that are somewhat separate from human beings in a way I want to describe to you. But then you think about the attributes that are directly associated to us. And I'm going to talk about one of those today. I want to talk about the mercy of God. A couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon about the wrath of God. Well, it's very important that we understand both the wrath and the mercy of God. 
Today we talk about the mercy of God. And Psalm 103 is a great passage. I'm going to give you eight different qualities of that, of that mercy. But before we go there, I want you to be impressed that the Apostle Paul wrote 13 epistles, 13 of the books of the New Testament. In nine of them, he makes reference to worship. I mean, there's more verses than that, but in nine of those books, he raises the discussion about, um, I mean, about mercy. He wants to talk about mercy. Now, why is that true? And the answer is because he treasured the mercy of God. How about you? How much we treasure the mercy of God is in direct proportion, of course, to how much we appreciate the fact that my sin could not be forgiven by anything else and that I didn't deserve it. Now, here's a definition, a good definition of mercy. This one comes from Strong's Lexicon. When you look up the Greek word for the typical word for mercy in the New Testament, this is what the word means, kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and afflicted joined with a desire to help them. And when the Bible talks about God extending his mercy to you, that's what it's talking about. And the more you appreciate that, the greater you love God and the greater your worship becomes. The Apostle Paul, so then in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 25, would say this, I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I get to preach. I get to be a Christian. I get to talk about Christianity because God has been merciful to me. Now, now, Paul, what does that mean? Now, look at First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, or verse 13, rather, and he, here's what he says. Here's where I came from. Now, if you were going to talk about the mercy of God, you want to elevate it in the minds of people, how would you go about it? And the answer is, you would say, I, I need to tell you about where I was before I became a Christian. There are things that were so deeply wrong, and the depth of those wrongs moved me, motivate me to appreciate the mercy of God. So he says, I was, I mean, does that apply to any of us in this room? Does it apply to all of us in this room? I was a blasphemer. Blasphemy means to speak against God. He did that, God the Son. I don't think he would speak against God Jehovah, the Father. He wouldn't because he was a Jew, but he would speak against the Son in a blasphemous way, I was a persecutor. Persecutor is different from prosecutor. A prosecutor is one who, at least in theory, holds to the law. And, and he, he punishes or carries out the punishment that's exacted by that law against the, the lawbreaker. But he, but he does so with the basis of law. A persecutor is not like that. A, a persecutor is one who just wants to hurt people. And so Paul is talking about God's mercy. That's that's the point of the verse. I want to tell you about God's mercy, but let me tell you about why I love it. It's because I was a blasphemer. You can't go to heaven with blasphemy. You can't shake your fist at God. I was a persecutor. And and probably, you you look at the slight insolent. I I was an insolent man. Insolent, we don't use that word. We don't talk that way, but... Insolent is a, is a powerful word in this list of the things that he remembers about himself. He calls himself the chief of sinners. And insolent means that a man would, he would uh, want to insult people. He would use his words in an attempt to rip and tear you. That's what he did. He, he was vile in reference to how he talked about Jesus Christ. He was vile in the way that he talked to and about other people. Now, now you're ready. 
now you're ready to understand this verse. He says, that's what I was, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in an unbelief. Now, don't you misunderstand that? It's not that if you do, do your sins, commit your sins ignorantly, that somehow that gives you pardon. That's not what that means. But it does mean this. A person who's conscious of what he's doing, that he's violating God's law and does so with impudence. He couldn't care less. I know I'm doing what is wrong. Now, there's a, there's a different level right there than one who does wrong and he doesn't know it. And so in Luke 23 and about verse 64, Jesus from the cross prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Why did he say that last part? Well, because as awful as the sin is, there is something worse if a person's aware of that and continues to do it. That's, that's a, a different level. But what Paul is saying here is that I did it ignorantly unbelief and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. How about superlatives? There you go. Exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. All right, that sets the stage. Let's go to Psalm 103. I want to start in verse 8 and give you eight things. Eight things about the mercy of God. And when we leave today, I want us to leave with a prayer in our hearts, in our lips, that, that God has extended his mercy to us. I am here today. I am worshiping God in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, because... He has forgiven me, and he did so not because I deserved it or I own it. It's because of his mercy. And here are eight things about it. Number one, verse eight, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. I'm going to call this one factual. Appreciate the way the wording, uh, the, the verse is worded here. It is factual. You go to uh, Exodus chapter 25, you read about the Ark of the Covenant. If you could come to the tabernacle or later to the temple of God and you could walk in. Now, you couldn't do this, but suppose you could go through the big drapery, the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, and you could go through that curtain. Now, you couldn't do this because you're not the high priest. High priest goes in once a year, makes atonement for the people. But if you go in there... What you'd, you'd be looking at is the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark is the, the, the tables of stone. Inside would be uh, Aaron's rod that budded. And when you, what, are you, you're, what are you looking at there? Can you see it? The Ark of the Covenant. And you see the cherubim on top. And you see all the gold. It would just be an awesome thing to look at. And, and uh, what is the center of that? What is in the center of the Ark of the Covenant? This is a place God cannot be contained in a building. And yet this is a special place to meet with God. And make atonement. What's in the middle of the, of the Ark of the Covenant? The answer is the mercy seat. And that's because it's mercy that defined God. And defines him today. It's factual. I'm going I'm to give you four verses now. And, and um, as we walk through them, I don't really want you to dissect them. I just want you kind of to absorb them. About the reality the factualness of the mercy of God. So we start in Micah chapter 7 and verse 18. God delights. You know what delights means. You know, this is, this is, this is something that I so enjoy. This gives me so much joy. You have things in your life right now that, that delight you? Of course you do. Maybe you don't get to be around them or enjoy them very much, but you know what I'm talking about. What is it that delights God? And the answer is extending mercy. Now think about that. That's, that's in the DNA of God. That, he didn't decide one day that he would change and become merciful. It is who he is. 
And he delights in mercy. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 says that God is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Now, James chapter 3 and verse 17. He is full of mercy. He delights in mercy. He is rich in mercy. He's full of mercy. And then you get to Hebrews chapter 4 and we come boldly. The very idea that I can do this is only, only because of a result of the fact that we serve a merciful God. Let us come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why don't you think about the factual reality of the mercy of God? That's important in my life and yours. It's important because it's not altered by man's feelings about himself. Clearly, there are times in our lives when God has forgiven us, but we haven't accepted that. And we all struggle with that sometimes, don't we? And in fact, I think there are lots of people who struggle with it to the end of their lives. If you ask somebody who's a faithful Christian, are you going to heaven? There's a very good chance that the answer won't be a strong affirmative yes, even though they are. They've been forgiven by the mercy of God. The problem is that we're painfully aware, keenly aware of, of the, the sins we've committed in our lives. And some of them egregious, some of them that, that still pain us when we think about them. And I don't know, it's just very difficult, even though we know about the mercy and in, in, in our minds we understand what the verses say, but I just want you to understand that it's factual. That's how it's stated here. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He is this way whether or not I accept it. Can you forgive yourself? I don't know, but that doesn't really come to the surface here. What the point is, is that, is that God is merciful. That's his character. Here, here's number two. It is predictable. Here's, here's verse number nine. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. I don't want you to think about the wrath of God as being like people. In the South, we, talk, we, we use this term, come apart. You know what a come apart is? It's when, you know, you, when, you, your kids ever have a come apart? When, when something does not go their way and, and you, you correct them and they just melt down. And, and anger and tears and all of that. And I suppose sometimes it happens with humans. It's a very embarrassing thing when it happens to a human. You just have a come apart. I don't want you to think about the wrath of God ever as being a come apart. God's not like you and me. He's not a human being. He's God. Don't, don't think of him like that. There's a predictability to the anger of God. Friday night I was in Jackson, Tennessee. I went to a, a lads meeting and, and I got to spend the night with Caleb and Becca, our son and daughter-in-law. And I don't really care as much about them, but Maggie and Ellis were there. Now that's a, Ellis is a little over one. Maggie is, is she four? She's four, yeah. Okay, so this is a great time. And, and when they come, when I get there, they just can't, they, they've been anticipating, knowing that I was coming. They can't wait. They just can't wait till Papa gets there. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying this is awesome. I'm telling you because they, they want to touch me. They want hugs and they want to play and they can't stand waiting until the, so I, I come in and, and uh, here's Ellis and Papa, 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 
And he reaches those hands up and does that with his fingers. Papa. And when, when it came time for them to go to bed, well, I got to help with their Bible time, and that was great. And I did the flashcards with them and bragged about them. And it just occurred to me that they, they think I'm somebody. I mean, they, they really do. I, now, that's not bragging. I, frankly, um, I hope they don't really realize who I am. I, but, but they think I'm somebody. I don't want to waste that. And as we were having their story time, their Bible time, I said, children, I want you to listen to Papa. The most important thing in my life is being a Christian. And one day when you get older, I want you to become a Christian. And I want you to serve Jesus all of your life. And then when you have your children... I want you to have Bible time with them, just like you are, we're doing with you right now. And I want you to teach them how to be Christians, faithful Christians all of their lives, because this is the most important thing. Will you promise, Papa? And you know, Maggie is four, and she looked and she said, yes, Papa. Now, see, I, I, listen, I didn't, I didn't make that up. I mean, you go to First Chronicles 28. Look at this. Uh, here, here's David talking to Solomon, verse 9. <clears throat> know the God of your father and serve, the God of your father. I want you to know the God of your father and serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. And he says, because God reads the hearts of people. If you seek him, now I'm talking about, I'm talking about God's wrath and his mercy and it's predictable. If you seek him, he will be found of you. If you forsake him, he'll cast you off forever. Got it? Well, that's not complicated. That's predictable. That's predictable. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not will be damned. Here's Micah, Micah chapter 7 and verse 18 again. And it says, he doesn't retain his anger forever. Now you might look at that and say, well, yeah, he cools off. He gets really, really mad, but then he cools off. Mm, don't say that because that sounds too human and he's not human. Instead, what you do is you say, when I fear him and I meet his terms, he is so Utterly merciful. And you know why? It's because it's in his DNA. Because his, his character, his makeup is merciful. He delights in mercy. You know when, you know when this comes? I, I, I know the moment that I received forgiveness of my sins. I know the moment that happened. It was when I came up out of the waters of baptism. That's what Romans chapter 6 says, beginning in verse 3, and it says that we're baptized and then we come up. It's in the image of the death, burial, and resurrection. And I come up out of that water. The Bible says, are you ready for this? That I walk in newness of life. I know the moment that I was saved. I know the moment when my sins were forgiven. And the Bible describes it as newness of life. It was a new life because now I've been born again. The mercy of God is predictable. All right, here's number three. It's gracious. Dropping down to verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. In the South, what we say is, you know, the mama will say, did you have enough to eat? And our response is, I had gracious plenty, right? It's in that sense that I mean to use it here when talking about the mercy of God. 
It's interesting here that he, he talks about our sins. It's not like that the justice of God, mercy means he's forgetting about sin. It's not that. It's that he's, he's found us a way by which our sins could be placed on Christ. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. See, that's real. And it's, and it's gracious. When you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, you have this list of sins. And, and what's on, look on the list. And you have drunkenness and you have idolatry and fornication and adultery. You have homosexuality, extortion. And he says, you can't go to heaven like that. You won't get through the pearly gates with those things in your life. You've got to get rid of those things. But he's talking to the Christians, members of the church in Corinth. And he says, he says, such were some of you. But you've been washed. Now, if you've, if you've ever been there, if you've ever been involved in these kinds of things, and I can tell you what, this is not uncommon, right? These things are true in people's lives. But then they come to Christ, and Christ's blood forgives them. God's mercy forgives them. The word for that is gracious plenty. Gracious plenty. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Romans 8 and verse 32 says that if God gave us his son, he will freely give us all things. Now here's number four. His mercy is immeasurable. How do you put a yardstick to the the degree or the length or the height or the depth of the mercy of God? For as the heavens are high above the earth... So great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west. See these superlatives, these extremes. Why? Because he wants you in this worship this morning as you praise God, he wants you to understand that he delights in mercy. How much does this mean to you? Look at at verse 11. So verse 13 says, He pities those who fear him. Go to verse 11. He has mercy toward those who fear him. We're going to talk about that in verse 17 too. We'll come to that in just a minute. And it's immeasurable. Romans 8 and verse 35 talks about this. Can we put, there we are. Who'll separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, things present, things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does that give you comfort? It should. That's the purpose of it. And his mercy is immeasurable. Now let's get to verse 13. I love this one. It's elementary. I love it because I can can so easily understand it. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him because he knows our frame. It's like a dad, and he, and he pities his, his children. Any of you dads uh, grasp the degree to which you pity your children? I mean, even your grown children. And if one of your grown children has lived wickedly against you and comes one day to you in, uh, in tears and penitence, in humility, with a broken and contrite spirit, a melted heart, and begs you to forgive him. What are you going to do? The answer is, you're his dad. You're, you're his dad. I, my, my kids are grown. I, I um, Boy, I look at them and 
I can't really express this to them and probably shouldn't, but they still, they still look like my little children to me. I don't treat them that way. They're adults. I got that. But, I mean, there's something that's just always going to be in me. Those, those two kids are my children. That's who they are. Do I pity them in the sense that this is talking about? Or the, the text in Psalm 103, yes, I, I do. How, how, how would you react to a grown son who came and, and, and in those kind of, those kind of spirits, that, with that kind of penitence came and asked you to forgive him? What would you do? And the answer is, you hear him say, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And you would say, bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry, because this my son was dead. He's alive again. He was lost, and he's found. That's what you would do. Hold that. Hold, hold that. That is, is what this verse is about. That reality of how you feel about your son is how he feels about you. God feels about you. It's elementary. Here's number six. It's exhaustive or comprehensive. This is this mercy. So I'm, I'm in verse 14 now. Well, let's, uh, yeah, let's, do, let's start with 14. He, because he knows our frame. He knows our frame. What, what, what? what does this have to do with this mercy? It's just this. You... you um, Talk about the, the greatness of marriage or why this relationship of marriage is different from any other relationship you have. Sometimes I'll talk about the freedom level of communication, and that's what you have with your spouse if you have a good and Christian marriage. You have this, you, you could talk to your spouse in a way that you cannot talk, I don't mean in meanness, but you can be so open. I can talk about my dreams and my aspirations and my fears and my nemesis and of anything that there is in my life. I can talk about with my wife or with your husband. You can do that. That's that's a freedom level. How can how how can you do that? And and part of it is because of the commitment and the the vows and because you of love. But part of it is that you're talking to somebody who knows you so well and still loves you, right? Probably I, I don't know how long I was married to Mrs. Colley before I realized she knew me better than I knew myself. She tells me all the time. I'm just kidding about that. But she does know me, my, my, very, very well. I think I know her that way, although I'm still, I'm still schooling on that. That's how come this is in here. So it's like a father pitting his children. Now verse 14, because he knows our frame. So when he looks at me, what does he see? And he sees a child. He sees, he sees me. Sees me. If it wasn't this way, and you thought about God's mercy, it wouldn't be so good, really, because you'd be so worried that maybe there were hidden things that people don't know about me. And if they did know, they wouldn't think so much of me because in my past I've committed sin. Right? If they knew me that well. But see, I mean, it's all, what if God? What if God wasn't God? What if he wasn't like that? Yeah, I don't think the mercy would mean so much because you would always be afraid that maybe something would be uncovered that he doesn't know and I didn't tell him. And you, you see the point. So that's why the psalmist here says, because he knows our frame, he remembers that we're dust. There's nothing that's not open before the eyes of God. There's nothing about you that God doesn't already know. Now, let's bathe in the reality of his mercy. He knows. He knows. And he's merciful. 
He knows our frame. Here's Psalm 139. And you're familiar with this. You've searched me and known me. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word on my tongue, but behold, Lord, you know it all together. He knows our frame. All right, now here's number seven. We just have eight. Here's number seven. I want you to drop down to verse 17. It's eternal. <clears throat> but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Because that would be a question I want to ask. You know, heaven sounds wonderful and forgiveness sounds wonderful. But how long? Well, how long is this contract? How long does this last? I mean, the, the beauty of heaven, First Peter chapter 1, beginning in 3 and following, the beauty of heaven is not just that it's incorruptible and that it's undefiled. It's that third one. It's incorruptible, undefiled, and it fades not away, right? So Matthew 25 and verse 46, it is eternal. I don't know, no, I can't grasp eternity. I, no, 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 I don't, I cannot do that. I try, I, but it just boggles my mind. But just so you know, the mercy of the Lord, praise God, is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. His righteousness to children's children. Now here's the last one. His mercy is conditional. It always has been. Now see, the bottom of 17 says that this mercy, this everlasting mercy is on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Now get 18. To such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. Fear him, keep his covenant. You know, a covenant is an agreement. And when you were baptized into Christ, you made a vow to him. And you have this agreement. Now, I want you to know something about the grace of God. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Oh, grasp that. The grace of God, the mercy of God is extended to everybody in the world equally. Nobody has anything special about this. Everybody has it extended to them. And the cross of Jesus Christ was powerful enough to forgive every man, every woman, whoever lived. But not everybody's going to go to heaven. Not everybody will be the recipient of this wonderful mercy that means forgiveness. Fear him. Keep his covenant. And do his commandments. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So I live as a Christian. Oh, I say, but you don't, you know. You, but you know. That I, I don't get it right all the time. I try every day to be a faithful Christian, but you know I don't. Get it right all the time. And here's the response, First John 1 and verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, he already knows. He already knows that. And in fact, he says, if you deny sin, then you lie. If, you, if a man says, I have no sin, you lie in the process. It's, no, no, that's not right. I know that, I know that you're not going to be perfect. I know you're not. So I just need to know that. I need to know that about God's mercy, that it extends to real people. It extends to people like me. That's important. I need to know that it's eternal. I need to know that it's part of his character. That he delights, he delights in mercy. It's factual. It's predictable. It's gracious. It's immeasurable. It's elementary. 
It's exhaustive. It's eternal. And it's conditional. I, I want you, as we close this sermon, I want you to think as you did when we began the sermon. What we're doing this morning is real. What you're doing right now is real. It's not merely about people. Understand that worship has a human aspect to it, and we sing to one another. I, I got that, but God is real. God listens and pays attention, and we've been praying to a God who has acknowledged what we're doing through Jesus Christ. And you serve a God whose attribute is that he is merciful. He is merciful. Let that drive you to obedience. Let that drive you to faithfulness. Let that drive you to prayer. Let that drive you to want to live a Christian life because he loves you so very much. He delights in mercy. Now, have you come to Christ? Are you in Christ? Are you one of God's children? The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 about verse 26 that we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as has have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Have you been baptized into Christ? Have you put on Christ? Are you one of God's children? You can know exactly the, the second, the moment that you are saved. It's when you come up out of that water, repent of your sins and confess him, and be baptized and be in Christ and be God's child. And then walk in your life as one who is aware of the wonderful mercy of God. If you need to be restored today, reach out and say, will you pray with me because I need that mercy right now. We'll be very happy to do that. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.